is this? Ah, the French. For what reason? What is the charge? Eating a meal? A succulent Chinese meal? I'm here, Papa! Yippee-ki-yay, Mr. Falcon. First listen to the animal man, the Snoopy Snoopy poop dog. My wife hated me being a firefighter. We were divorced nine months later. If you don't mind my saying, I don't like your attitude one bit. Inspired. Six times I've now ruined my whiskey. I'm under what? I just want to do whatever serves the corporation best. Good night, Mr. Wanderson. Good night. Gentlemen, this is Democracy Manifest. We are trapped in a Ferris wheel. We're recording a podcast. It's World champion podcast my name is brighton and i'm sean we are two gentlemen who signed a bad contract with the smogville world's fair now we live inside a private car in a very large ferris wheel with a dog named tugboat who comes and goes as he pleases we talk about the things we understand which is the mysteries of the universe and obscure and forgotten pop culture we talk good we talk true we talk fast it's happening well, you you recovered well from your slip. You, you talked about maybe an old dog. What, what t- was t- that? Tongue boat? T- uh, tummy <laughs> boat? Tummy boat? Something I don't know. happened yeah. there. That was that was no accident. Yeah. No, that was. Uh, I hope you didn't hear that. Yeah. You, uh, dogs know when you pet them and you're thinking about another dog. It's <laughs> true. They just start growling. Just something in that touch. Yeah. Immediately starts start growling. Yeah. Well, he's not here right now, but when he listens to it later, mm. on his uh, on his boombox. Mm-hmm. I don't know how he gets MP3s on that thing. I know. Because it doesn't have any apps, as far as I know, but he, he found a way. I didn't think there was Wi-Fi in Smogville. He's a clever little pup mm-hmm. tugboat. Um, well, speaking of Smogville, remember, everyone, if you haven't done so already, it's uh, daylight savings time. That's right. Yep. Spring back, spring forward. Mm-hmm. It's the same. That's how you remember it. It's the same in spring or fall. That It has that great spring back, spring forward. So you know. Yeah, you set your clocks back 23 hours and then set the date forward one day. Mm-hmm. And then that way, it's, the time difference is uh, you know, taken into account. Right. So, yeah, it's nice. And then you get that extra hour of daylight at the end of the day. Well, I mean, you would if... If it was that day. It's if, a different day, Well, if you day, could see I the guess. sun through the smog, then it might mean something. Mm-hmm. That's so, true. So for us here in Smogville, you get an extra hour of sort of a amber-hued glow. Yeah, kind of a... It's kind, kind of, of a brownish a, glow. Yeah, a brown hour. The brown hour, and which so, is great for photographers. Mm-hmm. You want to get your, get your pictures during the brown hour. Right at brown set. Mm-hmm. So that's a beautiful thing. What do you do with your extra day that you got from, from spring back, spring forward? I know. It's great because the way we do it here with that 23-hour time change and then putting the date forward, you have that extra day that's, that was, wasn't there originally. Mm-hmm. Or it was, it was. Well, technically it was there. So, you, so everyone have, gets a three day weekend. You get a three day weekend, but then you you have to take a sick day. PTO. Yeah, it's ta- yeah. Ta- taken out of your your time off. You've got saved up, but but it evens out right to that extra that extra brown hour. Then you get an extra day and that extra brown hour every night. Yeah. So what I did is is I thought I'd catch up on some important work, and so I started calculating how much time had passed from when Frodo left the Shire to when he got to Mount Doom. Oh, your uh, your dissertation. Right. Yeah. Right. How many miles that was, and then how many miles they'd have to travel a day. And I, and I just followed Sam and Frodo, because the fellowship spreads all over. I picture you like at an old wooden desk holding a torch and spreading maps out and using it, a, yeah, a it's compass ve- and stuff like that. It's very Indiana Protractor. Jones. Mm-hmm. It very much like that. Like, yeah. like I broke, I, I started hammering the floor and found a secret staircase. 
<laughs> I'm spreading out some some maps. <laughs> and it was the 2007 Middle Earth calendar that had a map on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you pull it, you open it to me, and then you can start just really calculating things. <laughs> so what'd you but, come up with? Well, I, I estimated, and someone could could obviously know more because there are some scholars in the subject. I estimated it was about six months from when Frodo left to the ring being destroyed. From when he left the Shire. From when he left the Shire, I found it some different does not websites. Seem long enough. That's what I thought too. I thought it was at least a year. For some reason, I was under the impression that from uh, Weathertop to to Mount Doom was one year, where he gets stabbed on Weathertop. That was my original idea, but there's a bunch of websites that said six months. But are we strictly talking um, how the distance, then how far he walked in a day? Because didn't they no. stay in, they camped out in Riverdale, not Riverdale. <laughs> now we've got something. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I like that. Archie, when they, Archie took the ring of doom to Riverdale. Jughead and Gollum hanging mm-hmm. out. Yeah, that'd be pretty good. We do need to talk about Riverdale, the CW show eventually, oh, we, by we the way. But Rivendell, pardon me. My goodness, I'm just all tongue-tied today. Well, from the website because I lost a day's worth of sleep. I know that's that right, thing. but you yeah. gained all that extra brown brown note hour. Yeah, a, a lot of the the websites that were timelines of Middle Earth that I was looking at said that there was about six months of doing nothing be- between the time where Frodo knew he had to go and actually went. Yeah, so maybe they're cause... counting going and staying in R- R- now I'm saying Riverdale, <laughs> Rivendell. <laughs> yeah, as part of that. Well, I know because Gandalf in the movie, it's like. Um... Frodo has the ring, and Gandalf's like, wait a minute, is that that ring I've heard of? I think in the book, like, ten years pass before he returns. Yeah. And says, uh, uh-oh, that's a bad ring. <laughs> uh-oh. <laughs> oh, shit. We gotta hurry now. And okay, I-, I know it took me ten years to fly up and, and read about this ring, but now we've only got six months to really take care of this. Yeah, well, that, that's like... There's a lot of st- strange stuff going on because you think of the ring as being the most important thing that happened in the history of all Middle Earth, but then it sounds like a lot of the stuff in the Simmerillion. I can never say it right. Yeah, Simmerillion. I always say Similarian because similar. Yeah. But Simmerillion. In that, apparently, there's some. It sounds like the dude before Sauron was way worse, right? And that, that's when all the Balrogs and giant spiders and stuff, like Morgoth, made a bunch of these things that are like Shelob is the final of these. Spiders that he made, and and all the dragons and Smaug, and the battering ram, and the and like the like trolls the, and stuff. Yeah, doesn't Sauron say that? He says, "Build me an army worthy of Melkor." Yeah, and that's that's Morgoth, right? Is that the same guy? Who knows? Everyone's got ten different names. This is the the plot of that uh, that Blind Guardian album I talked about. That oh, that's album. right. It's yeah. all about the Cimmerillion. Yeah. Anyway, so so according to my estimate, Sam and Frodo six months. They traveled about 1,150 miles, and, and so that's about six miles a day, which doesn't sound as bad. That yeah. doesn't sound like that far to me. But it's a lot of hiking. It's a lot of uphill. It's a lot of uphill, and there's snow, marshes. Rocks, and yeah, and, and you're being monsters, chased by monsters. Terrified constantly, mm-hmm. and starving, too, to a degree. Well, no, they got They have that. the leaven bread, but... Yeah, Lembus. Lembus bread. Lembus? I think leaven bread is... Is that from, is like, that just regular bread? Maybe. So I, maybe I know there's unleavened bread, and that's not kosher, or maybe it is kosher. Well, it, it's kind of a Bible-sounding word, so they throw those kind of words in fantasy books once in a while. You yeah. Know? <laughs> They'll talk about that. Anyways, they eat leavened bread. So the, the elf bread. Right. They didn't... They, they had, but I mean, I thought that was more almost like you're like army rations just surviving. 
or something. Well, for a hobbit who where they are so focused on mealtime, right? Just eating strictly to sustain yourself has got to be a real bummer. Oh yeah, that's I, that's how I feel. Even <laughs> I'm not even a hobbit, as far yeah. as I know. <laughs> Anyways, I, I so this has got this got me thinking. Doing all these crunching of the numbers is about the ring itself. Mm-hmm. So I was th- I was thinking that Gollum he's sort of a he, he's just a crackhead. Like he gets the ring, he ha- he's had it a couple thousand years, but he's totally turned into just like a crackhead. Yeah. And then Bilbo's had it for 80 years, his duration from getting it in The Hobbit to, to giving it to Gandalf in Fellowship of the Ring, I think is 80 years. I could, I could have some of these numbers wrong, but, but he, he didn't seem like that. Did he not have it long enough? Because he, did, he didn't seem really that worse for work. Well, he's a functional crackhead. And that, well, that's what I'm starting to talk. That's, what yeah. I, that's my whole question right there. As I was, was he a functional addict? Well, and the difference, too, is Gollum uh, lives in a cave mm-hmm. in the dark with nothing but the ring. Bilbo had other shit going on. He had friends. He had family. He had his nice house. He was a functional he had addict. Meals. Yeah. Like, he was, uh, from the outside, he looked totally functional. In fact, he was kind of a big deal in, in Hobbiton. But, but I'm saying he wasn't as reliant on the ring to provide all his entertainment and pleasure. Well, like, he had he had his own life to live, so you know he's just you know he's got his good life, and then maybe he's jumping into the the closet to take a little nip of whiskey. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess my question so to is: speak. is is Bilbo a functional ring user, or is it just not a long enough timeline? Because I think the ring. No, I think it's both, probably. Yeah. But I think the ring doesn't captivate him as much as it does Gollum because he has other distractions to keep his mind busy. Yeah, Go- Gollum pretty much immediately murders someone. Yeah, and then and Gollum was already kind of a loser. Right, that's true. Okay, well then let's bring in the third part, which is Frodo. So is, Frodo seems just just in bad shape after his one year with the ring, mm-hmm. or maybe six months. But I guess he has it in his house for like six months, right? Or ten years? Or is it? Oh yeah, or, 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 or it ten is, years. Yeah. So. Frodo, is he at the end, you know, he's just not the same Hobbit. Is, is it kind of a tour of duty PTSD because he's had this awful year? He had a really rough year with the spiders and the stabbings. Right. I mean, let's imagine you're, you're just some dude. You're hanging out. You're barefoot. You're, you're eating giant pumpkins. Mm-hmm. Um, then almost immediately after going off on what is, you think is going to be a great adventure, you get stabbed by a ghost. Almost immediately. Yeah. You get stabbed by a ghost. Your uncle tries to murder you to steal the thing he gave you. Mm-hmm. Giant spider attack. Does he? Does Bilbo constantly under attack? Uh, one of your best friends tries to kill you. Wait, does Bilbo actually try to kill him? He does that like ah, when you know. His but is face that in the book scary? though? Is that in the book? I don't know. What am I? Well, that, well, I guess it kind of Christopher bothered. Tolkien. It just doesn't seem like that big a deal in The Hobbit when Bilbo's using the ring. It seems kind of. But he's fun. not really using it. He he uses it to escape from Gollum. He wears it, no, dude, when, when they get captured by the Wood Elves, he wears it for like a month, straight. Well, the, I think the real explanation is that Tolkien had no idea what the ring was supposed to be when he wrote that. Nope, won't, I won't accept that. I know. So you're telling me that Bilbo wore it for a month straight and he can stop anytime he wants? Get real. I guarantee you this has been answered somewhere. <laughs> I know. There's some website, like ringers.net, maybe it's just right. the ringers.net. Where every week you write in a bunch of letters. Well, not a bunch of people send in letters. I don't know. A couple people send in letters to some sort of Tolkien mm-hmm. scholar 
to answer it. And they've there's enough text and enough unpublished stuff that you can answer all this jazz. Yeah, that's true. And if you know, write write in, please, and let me know. I got another Lord of the Rings question, but I almost feel like, should we save this and actually do a Lord of the Rings thing? But again, we've done that. We've done it. We have done it. Okay, maybe I'll just ask it another week. Okay. <laughs> just save it up. We can make it a new segment. All right. Questions about Lord of the Rings? Questions about Lord of the... Why not? <laughs> well, because, again, what is our mandate? Obscure and forgotten pop right. culture. Stuff people haven't heard of. No, Return of the King came out in 2003. <laughs> Who the hell remembers that? It's only sold 100 million copies in book form. Yeah. Uh, you, do you know any little kids... Do I? You have na- nephews and nieces I, and stuff. That's true, yeah. So technically, yes, I do. No so children. what are they into? I guarantee it's not Lord of the Rings. Well, they're into Frozen, which is a poor man's Lord of the Rings. They, they from like what Frozen. I understand. Kids like Frozen, they like Star Wars. You will not find anyone under 12 years old. You will find one in, in 1,000 children who cares about Lord of the Rings. You think? It's obscure and forgotten pop culture. It's right up there with uh, <laughs> unaired television pilots, <laughs> Miami Connection. yeah. Good stuff. The Room. The Room. Have you seen The Room? Birdemic. No. Have you seen The Room? Yeah, I love it. We have... What, I didn't know you'd seen The Room. Oh, I love it. Well, why don't we talk about The Room one day? Okay. I would love to watch it this week. Okay. I've been, I've been looking for a reason because uh, I, it's hard to convince my girlfriend to watch the movie like this. I've never seen it, and I've never met anyone who's seen it, even though it is legendarily the worst film ever made. I love it. It is. It's, it's, it's humble. And the director is, it's just like Miami Connection, in fact, in, in the way that the director's in it as the protagonist. And, yeah, and wrote it and, and didn't, wrote it and didn't know he was making a bad movie. I don't even know if he knows now. He's gotten a lot of acclaim for it, but I'm not sure he knows. It's... Now, I've read interviews with him, and he is a dick. Were... Unlike YK Kim of Miami Connection, who's inspirational. That's right. Motivational, inspirational, That's right. intensity, Seize integrity. PMA. Yeah. Okay, well, look forward to that, All listeners. Right. We're going to talk about The Room. <laughs> but, I don't know. This is not a movie review, movie discussion show. Right. Oh, shit, I just looked at the calendar. It yeah, is. It, it is. is today. And today it's, well, no, it's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's the movie. coolest thing. Um, kind of a, a few weeks before we arrived in Smogville, um, a, a rocket fell out of the sky and touched down in a uh, potato field. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, and uh, we'd, we'd always... We've heard people talking about it. We haven't had a chance to go see it. But now that we've got that extra day, mm-hmm. we kind of went out there and saw it. It landed uh, nose down. Mm-hmm. So it's just a rocket sticking out of the ground like right. in a Wiley Coyote cartoon. Or in that new Rambo. There's a bomb just stuck in the ground, remember? That'll happen. Yeah. It'll happen. And, uh, but emblazoned on the side of this, it says the words, Last Action Hero. Right. And I kind of didn't really know what that means. It turns out it's a movie. We it, went down to the VHS store slash uh, corn cob pipe store. Right. Slash copy center. And uh, they did have a VHS copy. It was dubbed. Our mm-hmm. video store, it's all just uh, home recordings. Right. So it, by dubbed, it's in English, but it's one guy saying all the lines. Which just seems very unnecessary. Lip syncing. Yeah, because you could yeah, just kind of that. Because the, the movie, I think, up. was made in English. What happened is they found a, the Chinese copy. Oh, is that and it's all it they could afford was okay. the, from the Chinese market, so they redubbed it back into English. A lot of work. <laughs> well, <laughs> couldn't that's how afford we do it, but they did put that eighty hours into re-recording it. So yeah. that was, you know, they saved the money. Right, they saved all the money. <laughs> that's how we do it. Um, no, so anyway, so we watched this movie, and we're going to talk about it. Take it away. All right, Last Action Hero, nineteen ninety three. I'm just going to start throwing out t- 
dates. I'm just hoping. Yeah, take take the lead on this one. It uh, was 1993. Yes, one week after Jurassic Park. I'm just. Oh, was it a week later? Because yes. I was going to say it was the same weekend as Jurassic Park. Because I'm just my, instead of Wikipedia, I'm just going to go by my memory from 20. I think years that's ago. a good idea. Jurassic Park was um, June 11th, and this was June 18th. Oh, 1993. I, and I saw both of them opening day as a as a kid. I can't remember how old I was, but I was. I, I remember being like bummed at reviews that were. And this was I was maybe at my, my peak of Arnold fandom at that point in my mm. life, and so I was actually personally offended when people were critical of Last Action Hero. And I and I and I'd seen Jurassic Park, and so I understood like, oh, this is just stealing its thunder. It's a good movie. But it's stealing away from Last Action Hero. I think we're going to have a, a very spirited discussion then when we talk about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that you are. Yeah, I am not. I don't know. I don't know if it's a, the that I'm a couple of years younger than I'm like two years younger than you or something. Right. It's not that big a deal. Yeah. Or maybe just like even as a kid, I was a hipster. Maybe because the thing, a lot of things that you love from the '80s that, that well, that millions of people love. Right. I was never into like Michael Jackson, Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh-huh. Hulk Hogan. Uh-huh. I never really cared for any of that stuff. I never connected with it, and I still don't. So I don't really have any kind of connection to Arnold Schwarzenegger. Right, I got a big one. This I like the maybe one of my biggest ones, actually. Yeah, I know. I mean, so literally, be... there's a I'm sitting in front of a painting you did of Arnold Schwarzenegger. And yeah. It's glorious. So this is like a movie critic criticizing a Disney movie, but then they have to say, "Oh, by the way, my my company is owned by Disney." So it's kind of good you're saying this because it's going to give people kind of a little bit of context that I he's maybe my one of my favorite movie stars and I love all his movies. Right. <laughs> right. And I like the bad ones as much as the good ones because yeah. that's also that so, uh, that's not like everybody where I almost enjoy bad movies more than good movies. So you like the you saw this opening day. I didn't see it until it was on HBO every single day probably the following summer. Okay. So I didn't see it when it came out. I remember the tremendous ad campaign I mean, Which I think, included I think, like collector cups and action figures and all that stuff. Included the rocket, even and the rocket. Well, let's explain that. Okay, the rocket, which I didn't know about until today. This movie, uh, we'll get into the behind the scenes stuff maybe after we discuss the movie, right? Um, but they, uh, okay, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger, the maybe the biggest, certainly the biggest action star mm. in the world at that time, one of the biggest movie stars. It's a big summer blockbuster. It's the director of Die Hard and did he do Predator too? John McTiernan. He, so he's he's at the time like the premier yeah. action director. Die Hard has made a, a million dollars, a, or even, a, a or million. even more. Even more. That's just an estimate. That's based on my Wikipedia. Yeah. Predator, Die Hard, uh, Hunt for Red October. He made the first Predator. Mm-hmm. Hunt for Red October. Gosh, yeah, he was he yeah, was so on he's a roll, the, man. Uh, he's the Michael Bay or. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, would you say Michael? It's probably fair to say he's like the Michael Bay or Justin Lin at the time. Yeah, maybe Justin Lin of the. Uh, I'm hesitant movies. to make the comparison, but I I guess in just terms in terms of, of like a guy that, a guy that makes action movies, movies that, that make are a lot of money, big hits. Yeah. Okay, right. I'll, yeah. um, Shane Black did one of the rewrites on the script, and we'll get into that later. Uh-huh. So of, of Lethal Weapon fame, also huge. Uh, 80s, 80s action. Yeah. Yeah. He was a big name, I'm sure. So it's got this great pedigree. So they threw a shit ton of marketing into it. Mm -hmm. And then one of those, and of course, I just love, I want to, I just want to picture this like coked out studio executive. Mm -hmm. Like, I know, we'll be the first 
uh, movie to advertise in space. Mm-hmm. And, and really, although it's a cute idea, you don't need to advertise in space. It's, it's super weird because it has nothing to do with outer space or rockets or anything. Like, I get it. If you, uh, it's Apollo 13. Let's, let's shoot a, a rocket into space, you know? Yeah. But they really, like, connecting it to, if it really was a rocket that got lost and landed in Smogville, which it is, yeah. that would, and, and someone found it, even five years later, they would have no idea what Last Action Hero meant. Well, so that's what happened. And so the rocket, it wasn't that they commissioned a rocket. The mm. rocket was already going into well, space. Well, yeah, that's what I mean. And but even they, so. But that would be so. even funnier. But no, then they paid NASA um, what is estimated to be five hundred grand to paint Last Action Hero on it. Well, it doesn't seem that expensive, actually. It kind of doesn't, especially, <laughs> well, especially by today's standards. Yeah. When... That'd be cheaper than, than having an ad during the Super Bowl. Suddenly, this rocket idea is sounding pretty yeah. good. So they paint Last Action Hero on the side of a rocket. They have a 900 number where you can call in and, I don't know, leave a message to God? What are you doing with that thing? Maybe, I don't know. Maybe Did you a, watch that Maybe commercial? an astronaut. You're calling in to leave a recorded message that will be put on a cassette in the rocket to go into space. Oh, maybe the idea is like that golden record we shot in oh, space. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, inst- God, how great would that be? Instead of aliens finding Mo- Mozart and how to say hello in 200 languages, <laughs> they, find, they find a bunch of people talking about Last Action Hero. Call, that, called a, that paid three ninety nine a minute to call a 900 number. Right. I just want to say Arnold Schwarzenegger rules. Yeah. I love you. Gosh, that would be the most fascinating movie for an alien. It's like, it's like an alien science fiction movie that they watch on, yeah. like the Martians watch, where they have a movie about the humans. And they find, it's almost like their version of Arrival, where they find the tape of everyone talking about how great Last Action Hero is, and then their linguists have to figure out what it says, all these So aliens. some linguists, like they're going to shut the program down. Yeah. And they're like, wait, I've got... Like, no, these, what these if, are humans talking. This what, is human what voices. If, what if Schwarzenegger is, a, is not a word we need to translate, but a person's name? Yeah, and that's like the twist ending. That, yeah, and then they... It like, changes okay, everything. Yeah, that'd be a cool Martian science fiction movie. Yeah, they should, well... <laughs> We'll, uh, we'll call the 900 number and play them this podcast. Oh. And then maybe a Martian will hear it. So it's, good. it's kind of an Inception thing. So even that is... Now, now, it's, now it is even more like Arrival, because now they're going to hear this, and then they're going to make oh, that, that movie. Oh, yeah. It's kind of got that time travel kind of loop-de-loop thing. It's, it's a perfect case of spring back, spring forward. That's right. This is, yeah, that's what happens every fall and every spring. So NASA's not just going to launch a rocket based on the whims of a studio release schedule. Mm-hmm. So the weather was bad, so the rocket launch kept getting delayed until months after the movie had come and gone. <laughs> and months? Yeah, it was, it was uh, I think, in the following fall it finally launched. But the initial day it was supposed to, to shoot into space was, was two days before the movie Something came like out? that, yeah, sometime around the movie. Do you think it's possible there was a coked-out studio exec screaming on the phone at NASA about, hey, you've got sh- you to launch this rocket? Of course. You've got to launch this rocket! Yeah, abs- <laughs> no, that absolutely happened guarantee it wow what a weird species we are yeah so it finally launched and was like and it was after it being a kind of a flop too right it was an instant flop i mean uh the incredibly negative word of mouth before it was released really yeah they did a test screening because you just you do your test screenings Mm -hmm. and try to find some little tweaks and the audience absolutely hated it Mm -hmm. so much so that they destroyed their comment cards wow lest they leak to the the papers. Okay. And yeah, so negative reviews, financially poor. And, uh, but we'll get into all that later. Right. So let's, let's talk let's, about the movie. Let's talk about the film itself. So the idea is um, it's 
kind of an Inception sort of meta idea. It is, yeah. Which, which I is more clever. Upon viewing it this time, I, I thought it was a lot more clever than any other time I'd viewed it, where I really thought, this is kind of pretty clever. It's kind of got the, the ridiculousness of like, I don't know. It was just, it's okay, let's explain what it is. It's a little kid who apparently has absolutely no parental supervision. And no, and oh, no, he does go to school. Go, sort of. It's kind of like the never-ending story kid. Yeah. Who just seemed, when I watched never-ending story when I was a little kid, I just thought, how could he dare go hide in the attic? Like, that is the craziest kid I've ever seen. So he's a kid who loves um, a character named Jack Slater. Which, who, who doesn't, man? Yeah. Now, it, it's not really clear until halfway through the movie that Jack Slater is an Arnold Schwarzenegger character. You don't think that was clear? I didn't think that was clear until it became really obvious. But the first half of the movie, I thought Jack Slater was just an action. I didn't know the kid was like, I'm going to go see that new Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. I thought Jack Slater was just Jack Slater. Like generic action star? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So he loves this series of Arnold Schwarzenegger films called Jack Slater. Which are very much the tropes of kind of the movies that Arnold Schwarzenegger himself got famous as part of. A little bit more like Die Hard or a little bit more like Lethal Weapon Lethal or something. Weapon, yeah. But definitely just like Cop that, I guess he didn't make it famous, huh? What would he have been in? Red Heat, maybe. Maybe Red Heat. Well, really, if, if anything, or this Commando, feels like a, to a spoof degree. of McBain. It does. It's really interesting to think. Did McBain, I was, That was one of my questions. Did McBain come out before this? Yes. It did? Yeah. McBain from the, the Arnold Schwarzenegger parody from The Simpsons. You know, it's interesting. That's an interesting aspect of pop culture where a lot of the time something that's a parody gets confused with the real thing. Mm-hmm. And then, like, enough it becomes, cycles of time go by that that becomes it. So it's like a trope based on a false Yeah, like, cliche. People, like people are doing a Christopher Walken impression that sounds nothing like Christopher Walken. It sounds like Someone, a Saturday Night Live guy doing Christopher Walken right, impression. Okay. Stuff like that. So, so that's almost like... Gosh, that's that's almost like an Inception thing too. It, yeah, totally. There's a lot of that going on in this in this movie. <laughs> maybe yeah, maybe we've solved it already. So it's a little kid. His mom works. Apparently, he, lives in Times Square above a bunch of drug dealers and prostitutes he, or something. He's friends with an elderly <laughs> movie projectionist, which I don't even want to go into why they're friends or how they're friends in a movie theater that looks like a hideout from a Death Wish movie. It's like spray painted. I'd never, for some reason, noticed how just demolished the movie theater is. I don't think the movie theater's open. I think they closed down years ago, but the projectionist just started just living lives there. there? Is, that, is that what it is? Yeah. And just because the so movie... So he's giving a little boy <laughs> magic golden tickets to come into an abandoned movie theater? Well, yeah. So come into my abandoned movie theater, watch this very adult movie. <laughs> You know, watch clearly an R-rated violent movie. Yeah. And so the kids seen this movie like twenty times already. Which Jack Slater three looks pretty good. Yeah, it looks pretty good. It, um, made, it made me wish the whole movie was just Jack Slater three. I really like it when he kicks the cop in the balls. Yeah. The cop goes flying really far. That's pretty funny. No, I dude, his line right there, I love so much. What, he says something like, <laughs> "I don't remember." So the I heard setup. you want to be a farmer. Well, oh, here's yeah. a few acres. A few a couple, more acres. Here's here's a couple acres. Here's a couple acres. Yeah. I laughed out loud, <laughs> yeah, so it worked on me. I that's the best it. part of the whole movie. <laughs> <clears throat> no, the best part is Hamlet 5 or whatever. Oh, that's true. To be or not to be. Not to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to lay a fun fact on you. Uh-huh. So we do see the kid in class for a moment. Right. And um, 
the teacher is showing the class Lawrence Olivier's That's Hamlet. Right. He starts daydreaming, imagining that Jack Slater is Hamlet. Oh, that, oh yeah, that's a dream sequence, sort of, huh? Yeah, but the woman, the teacher, uh, Lawrence Olivier's wife. In real life? Yeah. So they did their homework. <laughs> no, it's just an Inception thing. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. I like that. So basically, the, this old man got a golden ticket from Houdini, and, if, and he was too scared to use it. Well, and somehow he got a copy of Jack, Jack Slater, Slater 4. 4 before it has even had its big premiere. Well, then I just assumed that theater was actually open and just in bad shape. Well, maybe. I guess this was I guess before, you know, he's uh, always alone in the theater, too, huh? Yeah. But this is that famous era of Times Square from mm-hmm. where it was, like, scary and before graffiti and drug up. dealers. Right. Yeah. This is a Death Wish world. So I guess it's possible that there's one theater not showing porno. Maybe it just is a porno theater. But and there's then when one the kid theater shows up, that he shows normal. <laughs> yeah. God, that's so depressing. I hope that's true. That turns it into a much darker movie. I think it is. I think we should go with that. That would be like Darren Aronofsky's Last Action Hero. Yeah. Where he shows 23 hours of porno movies, and then he has a little kid come at night so he can show him his old hopes and dreams that are broken. Yeah. That's, anyway. uh, that's Art Carney in his final film role uh-huh. um, of The Honeymooners. I was wondering, yeah, I was looking at him th- wondering how much longer he lived. I, that, was, that was one of my thoughts. It's dark, and I'm sort no, of No, that's how I feel. It. Well, it was 10 years, so I hope, oh, hope you that's feel better ten about years. Okay, it. that is a little better. Yeah, okay. made it a long time. So then yeah. he rips the magic ticket in half. It's just that the movie was such a bomb that even Art Carney at age 73... Uh-huh. Like, you'll never work in this town again. Someone had to take the fall for this. Oh, he was, it's not going to be Arnold Schwarzenegger. So he was, they threw him under the bus, <laughs> who's, huh? who's the next biggest star? That's Art right. Carney. Who is this little kid? Is he uh, another star? Uh, yeah, it's Charlie Day from Always Sunny Philadelphia. Shut up. No, that'd be a fun rumor to start. That would be. He looks like him. He, I, I was trying to decide if I could pull off his haircut. Or if, <laughs> or if anyone could in this day and age. No, it's not. not it's a, a very haircut. particular haircut. So, so he rips the magic ticket in half, and then this makes him actually go into the Jack Slater four movie. Right, but this is after he almost gets murdered in his own home. That was the most disturbing part, which I'd forgotten all about. And I also thought that was a dream sequence, but it wasn't. I thought it was too. I thought he, Jack Slater was going to come in and save him. Yeah. So this kid tries to sneak out at night to go to the movie Jack Slater four, and there's a Death Wish style guy with a knife right outside his door. Yeah. Who then basically ties him up and terrorizes him for a few hours. And then complains that they don't have any good stuff to steal. Right. And then the kid calls the police, goes to the police station. And this was my favorite part. His mom didn't get off work to go to the police station. Because the police guy goes, go on home. Your mom will be there when her shift is over. Just go. But I promised her you have to go straight there. (laughs) So that means that the police called her. Said your son has been held hostage in your home, in your home at knife point and robbed and handcuffed to a bathtub, and then she's like, "Okay, well, my shift ends in four more hours. <laughs> Just send him home. Yeah. Just have him walk home. Just have him walk back home to our Times Square apartment. Two a.m. in Times Square, past all the the prostitutes and drug dealers. Yeah, with no escort either. The cops like, well, on your way. What does she do? Do we ever even know? Other than that she she's better, a she better work for the CIA or something. <laughs> yeah. She better have an important job. If she's like a, a house cleaner or something. So anyways, on his way home, he does stop to watch Jack Slater 4. Yeah. And, uh... and, the, and the thing that's weird is the old man's kind of disappointed he's so late and kind of irritated. Yeah. And the kid doesn't say, oh, I was just had the most harrowing experience of my life. Well, the kid's totally fine. He's, he's fine. He, he has a very short memory. He does. He's not. He's like, 
It's like Dory from, yeah. from Finding Nemo. <laughs> yeah, Memento. Just, or Yeah, he shook that right off. Or someone got in and inceptioned it right out. Or he's such a, such a huge Jack Slater fan. I might be recover as well. Yeah. If you're, if you're handcuffed to a bathtub and you keep thinking, oh, man, I, but I'm still going to be able to see this new movie. Like, that maybe got him through it. Yeah. Thinking of Jack Slater. Yeah, lesser things have happened. So once, once he's thrown into the movie world, all the action movie cliches apply. Yeah. Now I just so I, they never run out of bullets. So he. So what's happened? The I, I watched this literally hours ago. I don't remember the movie. Oh well, we get Vincent Van Gogh as the villain. Uh, yeah. Also known yeah, yeah. as Tywin Lannister. Yeah. Who's of course amazing. He's like he's great. If this movie had been better, this he probably would have been as legendary as uh, Hans Gruber. Why? But one thing that's weird is that he has both his eyes in a lot of scenes. Like he takes out his glass eye, and his eyes are just normal. Yeah. So why does he wear the glass eye? No, he puts, then he pops in a regular eye. You just don't see that. Is that what that we're, we're supposed to be pretending? I think so, Cause, yeah. Because he, he does, doesn't show him do these things. He has a series of Charles Dance, Tywin Lannister, of right. course, with looking exactly like Vincent Van Gogh. Yeah. He has a series of glass eyes with like emojis on them. It was, this is really yeah. what started the emoji revolution. A bullseye, smiley face. What else does he have? Just a bright red one, like a lizard one. Oh, yeah, he has a, that, that lizard one's cool. Yeah. Um, and they they murder Arnold's second cousin, second cousin, yeah, Jack Slater's, and then he vows revenge. <laughs> I love all the Jack Slater scenes so much. So there's there's basically there's some car chase and some mayhem, and the kid gets sucked into the screen and right. ends up in Jack Slater's in the back seat of his convertible. Mm-hmm. And then just a hilarious scene. There's nothing funnier than uh, zooming in on someone's face while they're cross-eyed. <laughs> there's nothing funnier than that. In the 90s, you couldn't throw a rock without hitting a movie that had that in it. <laughs> oh, and they like drove off. They're like driving off a something? bridge, and then yeah, there's like uh, a close up of the yeah. kid going cross eyed. And that's just like, you know, imagine like. Uh, I did enjoy this a lot more than you. Imagine a C list uh, Saturday Night Live actor getting hit in the nuts and then zoom in on him cross eyed. It's great. <laughs> it works for me. Yeah. I'm going to say it. <laughs> You're making a lot of idiocracy references, but I, I'm starting to think back. These are moments I enjoyed. And then there's a great scene where Arnold is like Tokyo drifting mm-hmm. and like backs into his parking space where it's obvious that they've just sped up the film. <laughs> <laughs> they did that a lot, man. Yeah, they did. There's a lot of really weird filming. Back in the day. There's a lot of bad green screen, but I'll let him off the hook for that. It's a it, different time. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I just saw that Kong uh, Skull Island, and the special effects are getting pretty good, man. <laughs> yeah, like it's really impressive, and the, but there's something charming to me about really obvious visual s- special effects, like the golden ticket having the weird glowing electricity. I really, it has a look, you know. Yeah, it, maybe it doesn't look real, but it has a. It's still a special effect, you know. Well, it was a different time, you know. I'm not gonna. Read... It, do you do you like it though? Like, I mean, even though it looks dated, kind of the special effects. Yeah, well, I didn't. I was fine with them. I mean, you notice it, right? But I am not like. I'm not going to look at a movie that's 25 years old and complain that the special effects are bad. If, if that movie just came out and it looked like that. Well, do you think in 50 years, the special effects in Jurassic Park, or maybe that's not maybe a bad example because that's exactly the same era, um, like the special effects in, in this new Kong movie, and then that will be, you'll be able to really tell, or will they both look super dated? I don't know. That's what I'm curious about. Will this, will the, will like the old blue screen, green screen stuff actually age better? 
I mean, the Lord of the Rings stuff started looking dated. Looks, looks pretty bad. Just a few years after. Yeah. Well, I but saw Jurassic some... Park still looks great. There was a lot of uh, practical effects in the first Jurassic Park, though. There are the... That's the, true, yeah. A lot of the close-ups of the T-Rex and his foot and all that is, is there. Well, Obviously, and there's the, some... Uh, and then the really smart thing they did was it's at night in a rainstorm. Right. To oh, yeah. kind of cover up a bunch of the... Mm-hmm. Sort of the patchiness or whatever. Right. And then, and then it's... Anyway, yeah. I'm just curious if if this will look. I, just if it will be in 50 years, if it people will think this looks better than maybe, I don't know, yeah. whatever, whatever optical effects fest, Transformers or something. So where where this movie really goes off the rails for me mm-hmm. is when they go to the police station. Okay, and it's just like just bonkers nonsense. Even mm-hmm. if even knowing that Jack Slater lives inside a movie, it doesn't make any sense. Right? It does. Why is there? A... <laughs> it's pushing it almost to like airplane or something. Right? Yeah, yeah. That one scene is like out of an airplane movie, mm-hmm. and the rest of the movie is really just a straight up action movie. Pretty toned. It's down. not even that funny. Yeah, and I don't mean it's not funny as in the jokes don't land. I mean there's not even that many jokes. Right. It's... I I thought the first half was pretty funny. If you think of all the funny. Uh, action movie cliches. Right. I just thought it was interesting once about halfway through, they go back to the real world, how then some of the action things didn't apply, but some kind of still did. Right. He was it, still jumping out between buildings and stuff. Which, I know they really didn't quite nail the concept. I don't think. Yeah. Cause, cause I feel like if they would have stuck with a serious interpretation of the idea of a kind of, world within a world thing where certain things apply in one world and then the real world, they really, I think it'd be effective if they really made it seem realistic. Yeah. Which some things were great. Like I loved the bullet wound that Arnold got or that Jack Slater got. I should, yeah. That I, was, that was really clever. We got to get you back to the movie world yeah. where getting shot in the chest is, is a flush. Wound. Actually, that's the funniest part. And, and we'll jumping ahead. Yeah, here. Sorry. I just, as an example, but yeah, no, but jumping ahead at the end, Jack Slater gets shot in the chest. Mm hmm. They get him back to the movie world, and then the doctor shows up and goes, is this you some... called me for, is this some kind of joke? Yeah, is this some kind of joke? This is barely a flesh wound. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. I like, I like so that. So that kind of stuff, like, I wish the whole movie had had a lot more of that. Well, how did you... kind of didn't. How did you like when they got saved from being killed by, by, uh, by Detective, MC's... Whis- yeah, <laughs> MC Detective Whiskers? Yeah, Detective Whiskers. I loved that, yeah. Oh, I thought that was ridiculous, because in the Jack Sl- you can't tell me that Jack Slater has a cartoon cat sidekick. Oh, so you're saying within the the like the reality of that world, right? I'm saying that's it was, true. Yeah, that's true. That's what bugged me about the police station scene is it was like a betrayal to the Jack Slater verse that was. I'd come to know and love for the previous twenty minutes. Yeah, that's a really and then, like good there's point. like like there's people walking around dressed like Daft Punk. Uh, the T1000 yeah. is there for some reason. Oh yeah, it suddenly just turns into movie world instead of just. Or maybe that's what it was going for. Is maybe it's not just Jack Slater world. Maybe it's all movies are kind of like it. Made, it made okay, me think a lot about that. who framed Roger Rabbit actually, and a lot of that I'm sure from the cartoon Cat. But then it made me oh, think yeah. of the reality of of Toontown and then the real world and how the things physics didn't apply to cartoons. Yeah. But they could die in the real world, but but not in Toontown or something, yeah. right? So there was like, because I know, because even in the real world, Roger Rabbit could fall off buildings and stuff, huh? And not yeah. die. Well, anyways, it just made me think of that sort of dynamic, and it wouldn't have been too long after Who Framed Roger yeah. Rabbit, like three. Well, did years. you see uh, Lego Batman? Not yet. Oh, it's uh, really good. I'm, I'm, it's on my list. A plot somehow Kong got above that on yeah, the list. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um. Uh, I guess in the original draft, the plot was that um, I don't remember his character's name, but uh, Batman. 
<laughs> no, in in this one. Uh, oh, the kid, Charles Dance, the the villain. Oh, I don't know. He said because he comes to the real world and he he like is, is it uh, has unleashed the power of movies. So, right, right. So he's saying like, oh, I'm gonna bring Dracula, Dracula, Hannibal Lecter, Hitler. Right. That's basically what happens in the Lego Batman. Oh. Is like every iconic villain comes from a certain world into the. But then they wouldn't be like, and that would have been really cool in this movie. Well, they're, they're sort of confused though, because then would wouldn't the real real world apply to these? Like Hannibal Lecter would wouldn't would be caught quicker, that sort of thing. You know what I mean? Like them being supernatural, their advantage is not doesn't apply to this world. Right. That That's where they really need to decide what. They need to. They, they, they created a world, but then didn't stick to their own rules, kind of. Exactly. Yeah, and I think that's a big part of the reason it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because Dracula, if you brought Dracula from movie world to our world, then he would be in a world where Draculas don't exist, right? And he would have just been a guy in a goofy cape, right? right? Yeah, and the first person he bit, he would have got arrested. Yeah, but that's yeah. So maybe that is because I, I overall, I'm going to say I enjoyed the movie quite a bit. Oh. I really liked it. I was pretty bored. Really, I, I, I was. And I was also kind of bummed out by because it could have been really great. Right? Do you think it would have been a lot better if they would have stuck to that format more seriously? So if they didn't do kind of the top secrety stuff, if they stayed away from the really silly stuff and just did action world physics in what the first half, and then really stuck to serious kind of cop work the second half. I don't know. Do you think that no, would have worked? No, I think it should have gone the other way. I think it should have been funnier. Oh, because okay. also because everything with the kid is like so serious. Like he loves movies, mm-hmm. but the kid doesn't get anything like funny to do. And he's got this like they're sort of hinting at this home life drama, and he's trying to escape through movies and stuff. And but that, I mean that's you know a movie about a kid escaping through movies has been done a million times, right? But like yeah, so I think that that's one of the criticisms I read was getting an actual big time action director to do it. When they sh- when they should have gotten like John Landis or oh. or Robert Zemeckis or yeah or, oh I think that's true what's his name Harold Ramis or someone yeah. like they could have killed it yeah if you would have had Harold Ramis make it yeah. so it's more like the tone of Ghostbusters or something yeah God that would have been amazing because there because I feel like it almost works like yeah and I obviously liked it a lot more than you did. Yeah, no, I, and I didn't hate it. Like, I wasn't mad. I just thought it was kind of a dud. It was just kind of boring. And I, I definitely think the first half works a lot better than the second half. I feel like it really kind of comes... Besides the fact that I really do like that they're going to the movie premiere and Arnold Schwarzenegger himself is there. Yeah, that was that was nice. And that. I do love that he's also trying to plug his, his like, Planet, Planet Hollywood. Hollywood. And, and his uh, wife at the time is telling, like, don't, don't do it. It's so tacky. Yeah. So I like that it was like... He's in his Humvee. He's kind of making fun of himself to a degree. And I love, again, it's like, this is like complaining about 1993 special effects, but it's so funny seeing all the big celebrity cameos. Oh, yeah. From 1993, which at the time it would have just been normal. Mm-hmm. But now it's like, oh, wow. Yeah. Jim Belushi. <laughs> you know, it's, it is. Jim Belushi, Jean Claude Van Damme, uh, MC Hammer. Yeah. For Pete's sake, he MC wants to be, Hammer. Uh, soundtrack to Jack Slater 5. Yeah. Which I want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> There's a universe where that exists. A beautiful place. Well, okay. So a thought I had during this was, is Jack Slater for, I just started thinking kind of like, uh, like Grant Morrison style, where I was thinking, is Jack Slater for the plot of Jack Slater for this magical movie where a kid comes into his world? Like, is that actually Jack Slater for, or is Jack Slater for the film taken off the rails once the kid gets involved, it destroys kind of the movie story? 
Well, that's kind of mind blowing, right? That's yeah. what I was thinking last night. I was like, that's why I was going going to some Grant Morrison territory. Yeah. So is the plot of the first one? You know, Jack Slater fights terrorists. Plot of the second one, he fights terrorists at the airport, and then you know, etc. And then part four fights the chainmail fight, murderer. Fight, yeah, fight, and, and then it becomes this weird, insane story where. Whereas suddenly a kid's helping A kid's him. coming in through magic, and they're introducing all this bizarre stuff, like a ticket that'll transport you to a different dimension and stuff. Is that the plot? Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, there you go. And, we'll you know, does it like... Smoke you know, it. there's that idea that, like, if someone travels back in time and changes something, we don't realize that something has been changed. You know, we just kind of... Like, oh. If someone went back and prevented the assassination of John F. Kennedy, we're not going to wake up and go, what, he's alive? Oh, We're so not even going to realize anything's been changed so the second that danny got transported to jack slater for it changed then that's forever. what became that and, it, and yeah. it was always that way after that yes point. exactly so kind of a bootstrap paradox sort of thing or, or what's it called what a, is it no well this is it's like called a mother this uh, is like the two timelines thing this is like biff getting the the sports almanac yeah that's a cool way to no look one at in, it no one in biff world knows that it's a just that that's just the world they've always been in well, I, watch, I just watched co- an episode of Cosmos about how time and space are the same thing. So the fact that they're moving to this different dimension, it would have to be a time travel thing, right? They would have to be traveling through time in order to go. Because if there's infinite... This, this, is this an infinite universe, though? Is there a Jack Slater universe? Or well, is this... and, yeah, well, there must be. Because how did we suddenly create two... Mm-hmm. So, because Jack, so before the magic ticket, it's this is something that Arnold Schwarzenegger f- filmed months ago, mm-hmm. and then su- but then suddenly when he gets sucked into the movie, now suddenly the movie's taking place in real time. Jack Slater's off script; he's no longer Arnold Schwarzenegger playing a role. He's now Jack Slater. Oh so, my God. so up until so. So he didn't exist. He like became sentient almost. So it's like a Frankenstein thing too. So like. When the kid went through with the golden ticket, did Jack Slater then develop con- consciousness? Because that would almost be, the ticket would almost be like a big bang of a different universe. That's exactly what it is. Like the ticket is the big bang. Right. Because and suddenly what, Jack Slater, who was a character before, now actually exists. Now he actually exists. Now suddenly all these people who are actors exist in three dimensions, in an actual world that now exists in three dimensions. And they're walking around, and they're, they're, now they're making their own choices instead of what was written down. Uh, and, yeah, because then Jack, when Jack Slater goes to the real world, he hears classical music for the first time. And he doesn't know if he likes it because he wasn't written that way originally as a character. Yeah, he just But now that he's he real, it. he, it's gone off in this new direction. He likes classical music, yeah. you know? He, oh, he likes talking to Danny's mom. Yeah. And he's like, he talked to her all night, and he's like, he's never talked to a woman before. Yeah. It's always been, you know, his, in, in the movies, the action sex yeah. sequence. And so he's finding out, he, finding out he loves talking to women. Yeah. Which, yeah, I mean, to, 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 to just which, watch it, to the, to the, un, to the non-disconcerting audience member, you're watching this and he gets sucked into a movie and now he lives in the movie world. Right. No, no, this movie's saying a lot. It's, it maybe that Golden Ticket is literally the Big Bang. Yeah. That created an entire galaxy where wow. people are behaving towards these rules that who even created those rules? God. And God being God being Shane writer, Black being Shane Black. Yes, Shane, yeah. Black, Shane Black's a clever guy. This this is kind of getting into conspiracy oh, well, theory I almost territory. wonder, like knowing so much about the behind the scenes, I almost wonder if any of the screenwriters like did think about that. 
Because that now that we're working through this, I feel, first of all, I feel like we solved it. Well, we did solve it. Yeah, we but didn't a lot even of this know we stuff, were trying to solve a mystery, but we solved it. A lot of this stuff I was thinking last night, so maybe no, that's why I, I enjoy, enjoyed it a lot more. Yeah, because I started thinking about like a lot deeper than just the. Because it's not like when the film stops rolling, Jack Slater's still going around in his Humvee and stuff. Mm-hmm. This is a fixed thing in time, and right. now suddenly it's a whole universe with free will. Mm-hmm. That's weird. Because also uh, the the uh, what's what's the actor's name the the guy from Game of Thrones? You just Charles said, Dance. Charles Dance. That's Benedict. Benedict. That's right. Benedict's the same way. Right. He's he he kills his his uh, boss. Yeah. In order to go to the real world, because he's always hated his boss, and he, and he just he's doing this whole different choice because he's he's kind of the assassin henchman in the story. Yeah. So he would never... Well, he says... That's that's another funny line, too. He says... Arnold says to him, are you a goon or the boss? And he says, oh, I've never risen above lackey. Right. So he's a lackey. Yeah. And a lackey would never... A lackey might grumble about being ordered around and bossed around, which he does, but a lackey would never actually kill his boss in the fictional universe until he be, was given free will. Okay, is this an Oedipus thing now? He kills his boss, and then he leaves the film. So he kills his boss, his father-type mm-hmm. figure thing. Mm-hmm. Then by leaving the film, he like sort of kills God. God being the director and screenwriter he of the does. movie. He does. And then starts going off on his own path, and then controls death himself. Uh-huh. I think so. This movie so. is way deeper than anyone gives a credit like, for. Yeah, we were, we were being... That's why they launched the rocket. <laughs> to, they were trying to kill God. <laughs> You could you could do a university course on this. I think I'm starting to think. Well, maybe you should change your focus on your dissertation from Lord of the Rings. To, I might switch it to over this. to Last Action Hero. Yeah, yeah. And and okay, I'm glad I got a new new direction in life. Let, let's hear some behind the, the scenes stuff. Well, if, we, of course, we have to talk about the most surprising uh, celebrity cameo of someone who I I can't say I forgot that they were in this because I didn't know they were in this because they weren't famous at the time. Who's up? When Sir Ian shows up. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. That's incredible. It's such a weird thing. It's like the first time I went back and watched Raiders of the Lost Ark after Alfred Molina got famous. Oh, and yeah. And to see a, a young little baby face version of him, yeah. you're like, oh, my God, I've seen this 50 times. Yeah. And I've never thought twice about the, the guy that betrays Indy at the beginning. Yeah. But it's the same thing. I've watched Last Action Hero not as many times, but I've seen it a, a few times. Yeah. And and suddenly this time Magneto's turning around, <laughs> right? You know, so Ian McKellen, Gandalf himself, Gandalf Magneto, himself, looking much younger and smoother as Death. I think Death specifically from the Seventh Seal, yeah, right? He the is. chess playing, yeah, death. the chess playing Death, yeah, which is sort of the same Death from Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, exactly. So so that <laughs> so do you think it, those three actors have all played the same character? Does that count? I think so. If you're making a list of like actors that have played the exact same character, yeah. Yeah. I think I think that counts because he plays chess, but he also plays Battleship and Twister, yeah. and and uh, uh, he's connect, just a connect he's, for he's the yeah he's the game playing death yeah which is the death I hope is the death there is yeah and Ian McKellen was so great like he just elevated every scene he was in he just did. by being Ian McKellen yeah he's great um, okay so it was an idea completely out of the blue okay. Um, which is kind of, you know, it's, it's unheard of these days that a summer blockbuster would be a fresh idea. <laughs> True. So you got to give him credit for that. Right. It's uh, these two dudes, Zach Penn and Adam Leff. Okay. Um, now, don't worry about Zach Penn, because he uh, did the story for the Avengers. He's part of the Marvel team now. Is he? Yeah. He uh, co-wrote X2, X-Men The Last Stand, the story for the Avengers. He's doing a sci-fi show. 
But him and his buddy are just a couple of schmucks in college, in film school or something. They come up with this idea. They write the script. They sell it for an unprecedented $350,000. Oh, wow. For a script that's based on a fresh idea from two nobodies who have no background. Mm -hmm. So famously, this movie marks the end of, well, the end of that era of Hollywood excess. Of course, Hollywood excess is a big thing now, but it's much more calculated. Okay. I mean, they're still going to, I mean, they're spending $300 million on a movie, but it's something that's been market research, they know. Right. You know, Arnold gets... It's almost like sabermetrics in baseball. It's almost like they've gotten to the point... It totally is. ...where they've gotten this down to such a science. Yeah. And it's kind of fitting, too, that this is the same year or so where, like, hair metal is going out and being replaced by... I know. It's being replaced by uh, gangster rap and and grunge. grunge. It's such a weird era because there is a bunch of... There's an Alice in Chains song in it. Yeah. There's a... I think the main song is a Megadeth song. Yeah. And then uh, ACDC was the single, Big Guns. Oh, was it? Do you remember the video? I'm sure I the do. The video with Arnold in an Angus outfit. Oh, wow. Maybe yeah. I'll have to revisit that. Oh, absolutely. That'll be next week's mini music movie okay. supplemental <laughs> okay. um, episode, season two, episode 6.1. Mm-hmm. Um, do comic books still do that? The point one, point two stuff? I don't know. Yeah. I, don't know any, I literally don't know anything about comic books. It's as if we never did a, po- a comic book podcast sometimes, right? Well, because some kid got a golden ticket and came into our podcast. That's probably true. It's probably true, yeah. It's, Where we were uh, just it's like, Kevin, Kevin T or Kevin D. One of the Kevins, yeah. probably. Maybe a Furtenbaugh. They, they got a golden ticket, somehow came into our podcast and created this new God, continuity. what if someone made a real Smogville, and it, like a big bang? Maybe we did already. Am I getting a God pl- complex this quickly? So Smogville's out there. We just need to find a way to access it. It's real. We just have to have some sort of magic Houdini item. So it's sort of like how Art Carney was like wanting to go hang out with Greta Garbo. Right. And we want to go to this world we've created where the sun never shines. And, and orphans work in coal mines yeah. and stuff. <coughs> but there, you will get to see a real-life animated duck. Yeah, that'll be cool. Just like uh, Danny DeVito is <laughs> Detective Whiskers. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, then the studio's kind of panicking, and then they bring in Shane Black and some other guy to do a rewrite. Zach Penn is super pissed at this point. Um, but, Shane, are- but Shane Black is like, well, I thought it was a clever idea, and I polished it up. And keep in mind, Zach Penn is a nobody who just sold a script for $350,000, and now he's upset that literally the highest-paid screenwriter in Hollywood is coming in to polish it up. How much did so he chill change chill out, it? Zach Penn. Yeah, no kidding. Famously, the, that version of the script is out there somewhere. So I'll get back to you on that. Okay. You can read that online, apparently. So they bring in John McTiernan to direct, and he has to do the rewrite. Okay. Um, Then the studio's getting nervous, so they're like, okay, let's pay William Goldman $1 million for two weeks' worth of work for him to do the rewrite. Oh, wow. William Goldman, uh, Princess Bride, and a gajillion screenplays. See, yeah, if they would have pushed it more Princess Bride, even. Yeah. In tone, that would have helped, too, I think. Well, it's just oh, it's just so much uh, too many cooks, you know. Well, I mean, I mean, Butch casting this on Ed's kid, all the presents, William Goldman, aren't, aren't amazing. Sta- isn't aren't standard movies rewritten like five times, all of them, at least? It's not like the the age where you would just have like a script and it, it's perfect. Well, Empire Magazine just did a look back on it for its twenty fifth anniversary. No, I guess not twentieth. It's an old article. It's an article from a few years old for its twentieth anniversary. So okay. it's been two thousand thirteen where they talk to all the players 
And, and all of them are agreeing. Of Last like, Action Hero? Yeah. Director and all the screenwriters. And all of them are agreeing like, okay, well, there's that one scene I wrote, but it doesn't make any sense without this other scene building up to it that they cut out. That might explain it. all the tone shifts too. Exactly. Well, then after William Goldman, it, they decide it needs a woman's touch. So then Carrie Fisher takes a stab at it. The Carrie Fisher? Yeah. Apparently she did that all the time. Who knew? Huh. I mean, I guess a lot of people knew that paid attention. For me, it was like her career was Return of the Jedi, and then she was the friend in uh, Drop Dead Fred. So it was like a decade between the time I saw her. Oh. I had the no burbs. idea. She's the wife in the, the burbs. burbs. Okay, the burbs. No, she did a lot of screenwriting. Well, I'm not. Like uncredited like touch-ups and stuff. It was more of a yeah. comment how out of touch I am. Well, that's what I'm rather saying, than, yeah. I'm sure no, she, I'm with you. You know, she was doing great stuff. So now at this point, the studio's freaking out because as soon as Arnold signed on, they announced the release date. Okay. This is in the fall of 1992, and they're like, all right, June 18th, 93. Oh, so they got under a year to make it. Right. And um, so now, now that they've put it through all these rewrites, like three and more, mm-hmm. they're like, this is a disaster. We got to get Shane Black back in here mm-hmm. to re-re-re-rewrite it. Wow. And Shane Black is like, fuck that. I did uh-huh. it. Yeah. You have my script. Right. And then Arnold is... Uh, I mean, Arnold's riding high. He's, he's bulletproof. He's so fresh he's kinda, off T2, right? Yeah. So the kid in this article is talking about how um, exacting Arnold was. So they're wasting time where he's like, got to get just the right car and just the right boots. Uh, and uh, He does have a great look. His car, his outfit. Uh, he, yeah, like, so it works. So I it, can't, can't fault Arnold yeah, for that. I think, and I think he was great in this, yeah. his performance. Um. But they're just like, they're running out of time. The studio keeps meddling in it. They've got this horrible script. Um, for some reason, Zach Penn became the guy, you know, the original screenwriter. They, they throw him a bone by giving him a part as a cop. Oh. And then at one point, one of the other actors says, by the way, in every one of your scenes, you're out of the frame. Um, so Yeah, because now they're bitter at him for complaining about it or something. And he's like, well, why didn't they just tell me to go home? Why am I doing all this? Is if Hollywood he's gonna, really like, passive aggressive? Maybe. Well, we're gonna get to that. Oh. <laughs> anyway, it's it's just their filming's running late. Um, they're planning this huge marketing campaign before they've seen any of the footage, and they think that was a big backfire too. Is maybe if it wasn't hyped so crazily, mm-hmm. it wouldn't have felt you know, it wouldn't have felt like as much of a disappointment. I, I but think, when in I the don't weeks think, leading up I don't to think it, Jurassic Park helped. Right, and Jurassic Park didn't help. People but, are a, f- a week off of one of the best movies there is. Well, the studio was so smug. Steven Spielberg's film before Jurassic Park was Hook, which wasn't a very It was big kind of a hit. flop, yeah. Yeah, so they're like, oh, he's dinosaurs? Yeah. <laughs> Based on a best-selling novel? Yeah. Steven Spielberg, who's made one bad movie? <laughs> um, but the director, John well, McTiernan... Do you know what? It was almost like back then it was, it was like the comic book scene was sort of the same. Where the yeah. writers weren't getting a lot of credit, but the actors or, or artists. The artists were, yeah. So you think about all the people that left Marvel to do Image were all these artists. Yeah. And that's kind of how they were probably really betting on Arnold a lot more than the actual director and writer. Yeah. And maybe that's, maybe that's not true, but, but I can see in my imagination a connection. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll link to the Empire article because it's really interesting. But um, John McTiernan, the director, called it his, his worst experience in all his years as a filmmaker. Actually filming it was the yeah. worst experience? Yeah. Um, he, this is a guy who has spent time in federal prison. That's true. For a movie. So we want to talk pettiness. This, this poor son of a gun. He hasn't directed in 15 years. And this is still his worst experience. Right. <laughs> 
He hasn't directed in Jail 15 years better. because in federal prison and bankruptcy and civil lawsuits for invasion of privacy, this stupid son of a gun hired a private investigator to illegally wiretap a studio executive's phones during the making of the film Rollerball. No way. Yeah. So I hope that was worth it. Your entire career, all your money, and a year in prison. This is John McTiernan? Rollerball. Yeah. I have never heard this. This is incredible. Yeah, it's all, it's all because How did of, he get caught? The detective was part of this big thing. Oh, it's like when so the it's, wife hire, like, goes on Craigslist and says, I want to kill my husband, and the assassin that shows up Yeah, the so it turns out this, this detective guy was involved in all sorts of crazy shit. So it's this huge web tied into this guy. Wow, um, rollerball. Who did gates. all sorts of, of Hollywood stuff. His Wikipedia is, I mean, we could do an episode just talking about him, Anthony Pelicano. There should be a movie about this. Yeah, no one will be too afraid to make it. <laughs> uh, so he, he was basically, like, he was under investigation for years, and finally they had to reopen it and got him for lying. That's how it always gets you. But it just blows my mind. Rollerball starring Chris Klein, Rebecca Romaine, and LL Cool J is oh, what he yes. threw his career over. Because he was, he, he was like, oh, me and the studio guy have different ideas for what direction this should go in. So we got to tap his phone and hear what he says and use it against him. So this movie was a movie worse. that has like one and a half stars on IMDb was a huge flop, and it was already a remake. He was that passionate about Rollerball, but, but anyway, this was the worst. Last Action Hero was but the this worst. This was the though? worst. Yeah. Okay, well, you got to tell me why. Well, it just I think just he how rushed elaborate. they were. It's how rushed they were. It's the the um. I, he knew when filming it that the script was a, a disaster. Yeah. Okay. But there was no time to stop and get it figured out. He also says that from the time they stopped shooting to that release date was three weeks. He said they Holy had three weeks to edit it. Shit. Yeah. So he Are you says serious. Yeah. So he's saying there's some post scenes, production. Yeah. Wow. And he's saying there's some scenes that all they all we did was like cut the part where I say action. That's why and the part Charlie, where I say cut. Charlie Dance has eyes when he takes his glass eyes out. Yeah, probably. There's like three scenes where he takes it out and he still he just has an eye. He says there's a lot of scenes that the way you see them is just straight out of the can because we didn't have time to like edit them right. Wow. And then also for a comedy, you have to edit it like comedically. Comedically. Right, for time. And he said they just don't have time. And that's why so many scenes look weird and rushed and And they fall up. and a lot of the joke timing kind of falls flat. And sometimes there's weird ca- there's kind of wonky camera stuff. That is incredible. Why can't yeah. movie theaters ever change the release or movie makers change the release dates? Why is that such a concrete They'd, thing? Well, because they, the, they put an ad on a rocket ship. Oh, you mean so... Well, I mean, uh, well, I, I, from the time they... Why it's would you start com- doing ads nine months before a movie came out? Yeah, it's, I, it's I fairly common now. Well, no, I, I get the teaser. But so, no, I mean uh, to te- push it back even. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. But that they just did it with... I mean, like Star Wars Episode Eight got pushed back six months. Yeah, so... But I mean, a teaser, the teaser trailer is usually a year out, and that's like the movie's already practically done, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so I, he says they had three. Because they. Uh, I read a thing about this with, uh, I think, Batman versus Superman. There's something that came out recently. If you read how quickly they made it, you were like, wow, this is a masterpiece for, <laughs> yeah. for the six months they had. Yeah. I'll, I'll, maybe it'll come back to me. Anyways, continue. Sorry. Well, no, I mean, that's about it. And even like, uh, so famously for the premiere of Jack Slater 4 in the movie. They're in Times Square, and they have an inflatable Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm-hmm. So they, they hoist him up, and he's holding dynamite in one hand. And this was 
two days after the first World Trade Center bombing. Mm-hmm. So no one wants Arnold Schwarzenegger holding dynamite in New York at that time. <laughs> so then they swear. have to take that down, and then they make a new one where he's holding a badge. But that in was... In the movie, it's, it's a stick of dynamite, because they show it a few times. Yeah, well, it's probably both, because there's no continuity. Oh, maybe, God, maybe it is both. Uh, but that was in... So I found an LA Times article talking about that, and that was in on March 23rd that they're filming that. Mm-hmm. And then the movie comes out June 18th. That's really it's a tight schedule. Wow. If you're that, still filming stuff three months before me, it comes out. That's kind of made me like it more. I'm kind of a little more impressed. Because for the most part, you, you pulled it together. It's not like a masterpiece, but I liked it. I like this movie quite a bit. Well, that's good. You're, all, you're way more critical. but Yeah, I'm, I'm, criti- I'm, I'm, I'm critical because I think it really did have a lot of potential. Is that what it is? Yeah. Is you, yeah. And, and then I just thought it was bland. Like, I wasn't... Even like, oh, what well, is so ridiculous? I was just like, yeah, it's just kind of not really working. Uh, well, I think I think every I liked that I girl in the video store points. with the donut outfit. Oh, yeah, I thought all those wearing, I thought all those all those things were really funny. Wearing, like an inflatable rubber donut thing. Yeah, that's funny. Well, yeah, there was a lot of things like that I thought were really funny. The Sylvester Stallone in, in Terminator Two. Yeah, I thought that's that. I think that's what first made me started thinking about the universes within universes type thing. Yeah. Because then I was thinking that there's a universe where Sylvester Stallone is actually a Terminator. Well, then, does that also mean there's a movie where Rambo's a real guy? It, I guess it does, right? Does every movie potentially have its own universe? And then that's a very Grant Morrison idea. He, and then he, when he's those very into the to the, the the fact that the story exists makes it real type thing. Yeah, Grant Morrison is a comic book writer. If you don't, who's behind some really cerebral weird stuff. He, he does really trippy, kind of drugged-out comics that I love. God, did I not explain this to anyone? I'm sure our listeners know. I th- I'm There's sure your, yeah, I think they do. That's not even fringe and forgotten pop culture. Even Grant Morrison at, these days is yeah. the, a pretty big name, right? So every time a movie universe becomes real, then everything else has to be rewritten within that universe to make it jive. So in, Jack, so in the Jack Slater-verse, Sylvester Stallone was never the Terminator. It was never even thought of. It wasn't even a concept until that golden ticket. Then suddenly, foof, oh. out of thin air, there has to be a Terminator movie. Because Arnold Schwarzenegger now exists. Yeah. In that, you know, sort of, like an actor playing someone exists. Yeah, and so, now, but that, but then so that, now every Arnold Schwarzenegger movie has to be completely redone with something different. But that also, that's true, that's true. But that also goes on to infinity then. So then with yeah, that's what I'm saying. So then that means there's, in the Jack Slater world, there's a Sylvester Sloan Terminator movie, which didn't exist before. It was before the Golden Ticket was ripped or the Big Bang. But then that means there's a universe where there's a Terminator that's real and it's Sylvester Stallone. And within that universe, there must be a movie, right? Yeah, so then in that universe, if, if, the Termina- if Linda Hamilton wants to sit down and watch Rocky... Mm-hmm. It's Arnold Schwarzenegger. It has to be or, John Travolta's or John, Rocky. Or John Travolta's Rocky. Yeah. Well, that means, that just kind of, pre- we might have just broke through some kind of E equals MC squared level breakthrough just now. It's because the, that yeah. means, because we've just proven there's infinity and everything is real. You know? Well, we, I don't think we've proven it because the, the we use thing the that starts it all method. is still fictional. There's still not, no such thing as that golden ticket. <laughs> That's yet. That, yeah, that's a, that's true. That's kind of the that's the one flaw in our plan. But that's true. Maybe that's, there is maybe tiny, maybe a, the Large Hadron Collider is the golden ticket. Well, I don't know what the Large Hadron well, that, Collider. Well, that's does. what I mean. The golden ticket is a stand-in for something that we need to discover. Fusion, maybe. Yeah. 
Something like that. Well, we should definitely talk to our colleague, Neil deGrasse Tyson, about this. He has a podcast, right? Yeah, he does. Yeah, so our colleague, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah, one of our colleagues. He'd be interested in this. Mm Mm-hmm. He might, actually. Neil, it's your colleague. (laughs) It's your colleagues from the Ferris wheel, Neil. Recently, I was listening to World Champion Podcast. My favorite. (laughs) That's the worst impression ever, huh? Does that sound anything like him? I hate man. I don't, I can't Can you even, do him? He has a real rich voice. I can't even think what he sounds like. It's going to... No, I can't. I'm t- I can't do it. Hey, look at all them stars. Hey, have you ever, hey buddy, come here. Look at all these stars everywhere. That's look. called a constellation. Tell your friends. Yeah, that's a... I mean, yeah. Hey, go. I fucking love science. <laughs> Here's a new picture from the Hubble. Tell your friends. That's, that's a perfect impersonation of him. Well, speaking of that, let's get to our letter. Okay. Um... Someone named Jonas writes in, says, Sup, fools, this will be short. Here at the Gulag, I have limited emails. Oh. Old-timey internet is probably the greatest thing you've ever done on the show. I think that the first horror record was the Disney's Haunted Mansion soundtrack. So that's, is that true? Probably. 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 And uh, the hopscotch double Dutch rhymes came from the song by Frank Smith, which I happen to know is Jonas's walk-up song when he plays softball. What it, well, I'm, I'm not saying a specific Double Dutch song. There's, there's just a bunch of variations of those type of songs. Right, all from a different universe that was created. It's true. Like, look at this. Our friend Jonas is actually in a gulag mm-hmm. just because we said that offhand on our first episode. That's true. Because when was the last time you saw Jonas? It's been over a year. Yeah, it has. It's been it about has a year been and a half. A year. And it never occurred to me to check up on him. And, and, and everything about it was very winter soldier. He was in apartments for a few months in Turkey, and then suddenly he's in yeah. Azerbaijan, you know, with no return address. Yeah. And I think that's all just because we opined that he's on the run. I don't know. You're... Shit. Whatever happened to... Uh, there was another guy, Sean. Whatever happened to him? Who even knows? Oh, yeah. That's right. We shouldn't say anything because it might throw, throw this, the world off. Because this goes into Schrodinger's cat, then. Yeah, Sean's either alive or dead. He's both right He's now. He's both right Until now. Until we make some kind of crack about it. This oh, is boy. too much power. I don't want to create universes and control the life and death of my friends. This is not what I signed up for. Well, we'll be back next week with more of the Magic Golden Ticket Old Timey Internet Podcast. See you then. All right. 